uh, real simply put, the course for Timothy and the course for his church, which is still the course for the church today and is still the course for every Christian, is to honor and glorify God. So that is uh, real simply put. Everything else that, that we say that we are about and that we do as Christians or as churches, everything and anything else is subordinate to honor and glorify God. Or another way to look at it is that is the fountainhead. Okay, we are to honor and glorify God. And so we worship and we gather and we love one another and we send out missionaries and we make disciples and we preach the word and we we organize churches and we appoint elders and we seek godly men and godly women and we we value the family. All these wonderful things we do, but, but we do all of that. Because our goal and our desire is to bring honor to the one who made us and to glorify the one who made us. And so then we go to his word and we we are saying, okay, how do I do that, God? How do I bring you honor? How do I bring you glory? I mean, you're, you're creator, I'm creation. You are maker and I've been made by you. So this is appropriate. How do I honor you and glorify you and make much of you? And so Paul gets down to some specifics with Timothy and says, here is how you need to set your course on honoring and glorifying your God. So first chapter, uh, first chapter, first Timothy, chapter three, uh, one through seven. Uh, We were there last week and we're going to be there again this morning. Uh, First half of this morning's sermon, going to go through these qualifications that that, that Paul lists again. Qualifications of an elder. We went through them very quickly last week. Um, we should spend more time. So we'll go through them quickly again. So we'll go through them quickly once, quickly twice, and together that's taking our time. The second half, I don't, it doesn't work that way. I don't know. The second half uh, of the sermon, roughly, and please don't look at your watch. and be like, okay, first half, you know, 45 minutes are up. So the first half is done. Um, the second half, four crucial uh, points regarding uh, leadership in the church. Just going to look at four crucial points regarding leadership in the church. Four points. If we remember and hold on to these four points regarding leadership in the church, we will be okay. So let me pray. We'll get started. Our Father in heaven, thanks for gathering us together this morning. God, it is good to know that we are not here by accident. It's good to know that even if we think we... We barely made it or we stumbled here or that it was just luck or chance that actually you have guided and directed us here. So we're thankful, God, because that means that there is purpose right now. That means that you uh, are bringing meaning to our time right now. God, thank you also for telling us in your word what you mean for this time to be about. That we would be gathering together as your people. We have um, been all over the place throughout the week. But now we come together as your household. And we come together to worship you. Not apart, but now together. We do that through just seeing one another. And encouraging one another. And smiling with one another. And laughing with one another. And if necessary, admonishing one another. We do that by 
by singing songs that you have inspired through your word and, and songs that, that tell of you and, and your greatness. And we lift our voices to you. We do it through prayer, communing with you, God. We do that through the preaching of your word. We do that through sitting under teaching that you bring to us by the power of your Holy Spirit through your glorious word, but through men. God, we do that by coming together and taking bread and juice in a while and remembering the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, as he died as a propitiation for our sin. So may you be worshipped today and may you be honored and glorified in all that we do. So help us, Lord, make us right because we're wrong. Make us right this morning so that our worship would be pure and true for you. We love you and give you praise, glory, and honor. And pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So please open your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Again, if you don't have one, there should be one nearby. Just to quickly recapitulate what we've looked at so far. Chapter 1. Here we are in chapter 3. Chapter 1, Paul starts with telling Timothy, stay put. And don't, don't go anywhere. I know the heat has been turned up there in Ephesus. I know you're not the most popular guy on the block, let alone in your church. I know it's not going real well. I know you've got false teachers who are, who are teaching Sunday school classes and it's wrong and there's uprising. And it's just not, it's not going well. This isn't what you planned, Timothy, but stay put. And then he says, here's what I want you to do. Okay, first important, stay put and contend for sound doctrine. That's interesting. That is Paul's most important task that he assigns to Timothy. He says, contend for truth. Contend for right teaching. Open up your word. Read it. Study it. Know it. Digest it. And then give it to your people. Contend for sound doctrine. And do not permit these false teachers to keep doing what they're doing. Get in their face. And tell them to stop. Exercise your authority, Timothy, as an elder. And tell these men to stop taking God's law. All right, this is what they were doing. Do not let these men take God's law, God's standard. This is what God expects. Do not let men take God's standard and use that to drive people to try to earn their salvation by working it off. Which is how they were misusing it. Saying, this is God's standard. These are God's rules. This is what God commands in terms of holiness. This is how you ought to live. This is how you please God. And they were using that to drive people to try to earn their salvation. As if it was a job description. And if you do everything and cross everything off the checklist. Welcome to heaven. But Paul says, tell them to stop using God's law in that way, and instead, properly use the law, use God's standard, not to drive people to earn salvation, but to drive people to cry out for salvation. Because when you look at the job description, when you look at the list, when you look at God's standard, none of us should look at that and say, okay, I can do that, and then feel justified before God by doing it. You should look at God's law and look at God's standard and say, that is impossible. I cannot do it. Which is why Paul says the law is like a schoolmaster that leads you to Christ. So you're desperate. 
So you cry out for salvation. As Christians, we do not earn salvation. We do not work for salvation. We cry out for salvation. We receive salvation. We hope for salvation. We ask and plead God for salvation. But it is not something that we can do. Jonah 2.9, he said, in the whale, salvation belongs to the Lord. He gives it. He gives it. And Paul, wanting this to happen, of course, in Ephesus, he goes to Timothy and charges him to do it because he is pastor. And therefore, he is responsible for these people. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. The author of Hebrews says, Church, who are your leaders? Who are your pastors? Who are your elders? Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For they are... What is the role of a pastor? They are keeping watch over your souls. Okay, and how are they doing that? What, what is the heart in that? What is the, the weight in that? What is the load they bear in that? They are doing that as those who will give an account. That means that Timothy is pastor. He is responsible because he is accountable to God. In some way, we don't know exactly how this is going to look, but a pastor, an elder, will stand before God in a very different way. We will all stand before God and give an account, correct? But a pastor, in a, in a different, unique way, will give an account not just for himself, not just for his household in his home, but he will give an account for those members in his church. Which is daunting. This is chapter 1. This is what Paul charges Timothy to do. What about everyone else in the church? He says, Timothy, what about everyone else? And he, he gets into that. He says, first of all, men. Men lead, quite simply, in the beginning of chapter 2. Men lead. And he says, this is how you should lead. Lead by Praying visibly. Okay, be, be men of prayer, but not just men who are praying beside your bed or at the dinner table, but be men who are praying in this corporate gathering. And he says, lifting holy hands in prayer. This is what he's getting at. He's not saying there's a specific mode and a specific posture, and it's the only one that's acceptable before God. He's not saying that, because there's all kinds of postures of prayer. But posture is important. It's not just what's in the heart that matters. God has given us a body and God has given us vocal cords and God has given us hands and feet to express toward him what is in our hearts. So it doesn't work for Christian men to come and to worship and to say, well, I'm worshiping God on the inside. I know that we're not all expressive men. And I know that we're not all real demonstrative. I understand that. And I don't expect if you're not expressive and you're not demonstrative to come here next week with, with, your, with your prayer flag and, and be, you know, you know, pacing in the back or, or up front and, and waving your banner. In fact, even if you are expressive, we will kick you out if you do that. We have a room for you to do that. And you can worship there and it's behind closed doors. But... Even if you're not demonstrative and you're not expressive, you should, because of what God calls you, you should express yourself and demonstrate your love for God. This is why Paul calls the men to pray, lifting holy hands in prayer. 
So men lead, and then he moves on to the women, and basically what he says to the women is, don't undermine this, like Eve did. And he points back to Eve. When the roles got reversed, right? And the, and the woman led, Eve led, and Adam followed, and we got the fall, and we got sin. When man didn't do what he was called to do, and woman didn't do what she was called to do. In fact, man was cursed, not just because he ate the fruit, but because he listened to his wife. In other words, he obeyed and submitted to his wife, which was backwards. So he goes to the women and says, don't undermine this. I want the men to be leading. That doesn't mean that women can't raise their hands. That doesn't mean that women can't express themselves or demonstrate. But he, he says... Two very important things. Don't undermine this. Rather, embrace this. Men leading in this church for God's glory. Embrace this by paying attention to two things. Modesty. And learning with quiet submissiveness. In other words, come and worship and and participate and learn. But do that in a way where with the way you dress and with the way you speak, that you don't draw attention to yourself. Because ladies, you are wonderful and you will easily draw attention to yourselves. So you have to be conscious of that and know that and work against that. So that and for, right, the glory of God. So this is chapter 2. Now chapter 3, Paul goes back to the men. He goes back to the men and says, some men, now not all men pray, lifting holy hands. Now some men, some men will be overseers in the church. Some men God will call to be leaders. And then he goes on and says, and this is the kind of man that they must be. And now we'll read. This is the kind of man that he must be. These are the kind of men that they must be. Verse 2. Therefore, An overseer must be above reproach. Not sinless. Above reproach doesn't mean sinless. If you have a King James Version, it says blameless. Paul elsewhere has called himself the chief of sinners. When he talks about sinners, he says that he is the foremost. But, though an elder isn't going to be sinless... An elder needs to be what Paul calls above reproach. And now he's going to go and really explain what he means by above reproach. That's going to be the second half of verse 2 all the way through verse 7. This is what it means to be above reproach. That means that, means that there, there, there is not a bunch of charges that are out there. There is not a bunch of, 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 of dissatisfaction with this person among those whom he is leading and around inside and outside the church. It means that in general there is a respect and there is approval. There aren't rumors that are true about the, the secret life of this pastor. He is above reproach. Okay, there are no monsters in his closet Right? The closet is open and you can look inside and it's just boring. Just a bunch of plaid shirts. And that's it. No monsters in his closet. He is above, above reproach. Now, we have to be careful with that to not make that term too tight or too loose. Okay, we could go one way 
And it could be so tight that when we say above reproach, you have no leaders. Or you don't have what scripture, we'll look at this, says the example is a plurality of elders. One elder is not a good idea. We had one elder when we started Veritas Church for as long as we needed to until we had somebody else. But it was an an uncomfortable time where we were under the accountability of elders from other churches. Because God means to have a a team, a plurality of elders who who are equals and who are leading a church. But if you have this too tight, this above reproach, and you get to thinking that it means that, well, the pastor cannot have sin. And if I see him sin, then he's no longer above reproach and he's no longer qualified. Then it it probably needs to be loosened a bit to have a more biblical understanding of what Paul is getting at. But as well, it can be far too loose. It can be far too loose. And an above reproach can mean basically nothing. That no one's taking him to court right now. That he's not in prison. Right? That he's not under church discipline. Well, we need to tighten it up from there. We're looking for a bit more. But he goes on, thankfully, and he, he describes. He must be above reproach. And he starts with the husband of one wife. So, husband. So, first of all, he's saying that an elder must be, an elder needs to be a man. Okay, and that comes right out of what he just said in chapter 2, where he basically said that I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. So who's going to do that? It's going to be the, the men. So we don't want to overlook that. We do want to remember that one of the qualifications of being an elder and a leader in Christ's church is that you must be a man. And then we've got to just real quickly come down from that and define what we mean by a man, Right? Because we're not just talking anatomically. We're not just talking gender. Scripture makes it clear that there is such a thing as manhood and womanhood. There is such a thing as masculinity and femininity. Therefore, a a, a man who is anatomically a male can be feminine and he cannot lead in God's church. He must be, all we're saying is, an actual man. Now then we're not, we're not, We don't want to get stereotypical with that. We're not saying that he has to, you know, drive a certain kind of car and he has to listen to a certain kind of music and and he has to, you know, dress a certain way and he has to use certain, you know, few hair products and and things like that. We're not, we don't want to get stereotypical with that, but we do need to make sure that he is a, a real man in that he's not lazy, for example. Because boys, boys are prone to laziness. You see this in Solomon talking to his sons in Proverbs. One of the main themes over and over and over again is do not be lazy. So he needs to be a man. He needs to be a man who is not lazy, a man who is not passive, a man who is not weak. Those are often qualities of males, right, in our society. But those males are not biblical men. Because a biblical man is not lazy. He is not passive, for example, and he is not weak. He is tough. He is tough. He, he, is, he is strong. 
He is able to handle things, whether it's physical or spiritual or emotional. He's not caving underneath pressure. He needs to be tough. I'm trying all these things. I'm trying to teach my boys. I have four boys. Lots of practice to try to help them to become men. We don't want to raise them to become grown boys. We want them to be grown men. And so we try to teach them to work hard. Like you work and then you play. That's like a rule in our house. You work and then you play. So even on Saturday morning, you've got a routine. You've got some things that you need to do and take care of before you go out and take your shirts off and run around with spears. First, you have responsibilities. And once you take care of those responsibilities, we play. We love to play. We love to have fun. We enjoy each other. But first, there is responsibility that God gives us, especially boys and men. There is responsibility, and they need to follow through on that. If they start doing something, they need to finish what they've started, right? Proverbs talks about that. The guy who reaches his hand into the bowl of peanuts, and then he's too tired to pull it back to his mouth. That's bad, by the way. Like when your hand just dies in the M&M's, you're like, I am exhausted. I just, I lack the strength right now to draw this to my mouth. That is, that is laziness. We, oh, I can't go there, but. Hardworking. Hardworking. Strong. Tough masculine men. It, it doesn't help if you like movies like The Patriot and We Were Soldiers, So, Good movies where you see actual men who are tough men and who are hard-working men and who are men who are willing to, to fight, not fight each other, but to fight sin and, and Satan. Not, men who are, who are willing to fight to, to defend and to fight for good causes. There are things worth fighting for. And men who will do that are the kind of men that that we need to be leading and and stepping up in God's church. Need to be men. Husband of one wife. So a a, a man then is, is, every man is, is under and over. He is under authority and he is over with authority. So he is, he is responsible. He has those that he may be in authority over, but he is a man who is under authority. So it is Jesus, and every man needs to see himself this way, right? It is Jesus, and every man is under that authority. He's not autonomous, but he's under the authority of Christ. And then Christ gives him responsibility. And he gives him authority so that he can be responsible and, and, and carry the load that God has given him. Galatians 6 is very insightful, especially for men in this regard. Where he says that we all have burdens. And he says, he says, we need to bear one another's burdens. In verse 2, I believe. But then in verse 4, he says, but you need to carry your own load. And when you first read it, you think, was that a contradiction? Bear one another's burdens, but then carry your own load. But it's two different words. There are burdens that we have. And men, there are burdens that you will have. And, and they are heavy loads... That other men need to come and and put a shoulder up under that load with you. When heavy things, good things, bad things, but heavy things. You lose your wife. A, A child is born. 
Okay, you, you get diagnosed with a severe disease. These are burdens. And we need to bear one another's burdens. But then two verses later in Galatians 6, Paul says, But carry your own load. In other words, every man has been given a backpack full of responsibilities. And no one gets to help you with those. Those are your responsibilities. And you have to carry those responsibilities. Others can help bear your burdens. Okay, those potentially life-destroying things. Everything else, though, we must carry that load. So they must be these kinds of men. Sober-minded, temperate. Most likely he's using sobriety metaphorically here. In other words, he must be a, a, a sober man who thinks and sees things clearly in terms of his views, in terms of, of, of his judgments, in terms of his behavior. He needs to be a sober man. This is a spiritually stable man. A man who is not up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down and left and right and left and right and left and right. But a man who is spiritually stable. You set him in a direction and he goes in one direction. Like one of those wind-up toys, right? You've seen the wind-up toys? We have a bunch of... The illustrations you get are, are weird. Just get used to it. Because the kids, toys, little wind-up toy. And there's some that you wind up and they just go in all different directions, right? And some you wind up and they go in one direction. An elder can't be the wind-up toy that goes in a hundred different directions and keeps like banging into the kitchen counters and then gets stuck under the refrigerator. An elder... Needs to be the one you wind up, set in a direction, and he goes one direction. Okay, is stable. Not, hey, we got a new vision this week. Or we got a new plan. We got, we got new values. We've got a, we've got a new purpose. We've got a, we've got a new book. We've got a, we've got a new plan. We've got a, a, a new direction. Okay, we've got to try to stay on track. It's part of what Paul is doing for Timothy. Keep him on course. Self-controlled. Self-controlled, self-discipline, self-restraint, self-governing. God never asks any of us to control other people, but he asks all of us to control ourselves. But we spend most of our time trying to control other people and not controlling ourselves. Look at my son, Peyton, who maybe he's struggling with Brady. And I'll say, Peyton, let's read this scripture together. I'll say, it does not say that you are to exercise Brady control. You're to exercise what? self Self-control. You're not responsible for his, but for your own actions. So a man who has self-control and governs himself, respectable. Some of these are easy to understand, right? Good behavior and orderly, honorable, hospitable, which literally means kind to strangers. He must be able to teach. We've spent a lot of time talking about that here. He must be able to teach. Ezra 7 describes Ezra as a man who studied God's word, digested God's word, and then he delivered God's word to God's people. Because what an elder must be able to do that, he must be able to teach. And he gives a few negatives. Those are the positives, then a few negatives. He must not be a drunkard. Okay, he must not be be getting drunk on on anything. Okay? This isn't just referring to alcohol. There are many things that somebody can get drunk on and be a drunkard. It's where you are okay, seeking relief and comfort habitually in things other than Jesus Christ. And if you are one who over and over again is seeking relief and comfort and has to seek relief and comfort in something else other than Jesus, then you are a drunkard. 
Okay, it can be it can be alcohol, it can be drugs, it can be sex, it can be the big three. It can be entertainment. Okay, it, it can be your work. It can be a particular relationship. But anytime you feed on something other than Christ and His Word, and you feed on that something to, to nourish yourself and to give yourself relief and comfort instead of going to Christ, then you are getting drunk on whatever that is. And you're not seeing clearly anymore Christ and His cross. So, an elder can't be a drunkard. Not violent but gentle. He must be forbearing and gracious, mag- magnanimous, patient with ignorance and, and weakness of fallen men. It can, be, it can be easy. And I've heard stories of pastors who, who maybe started off soft and started off gentle and were hardened over time. You've heard people jokingly say things like the problem with the church is, is all the people. The church is people. People who are at best voluntarily, right, submitted to an elder or pastor's authority. With, with, with no particular incentive, right, other than to bring honor and glory to God. So if the Holy Spirit doesn't, doesn't hold this together, and if the Word doesn't say stay central in our church, then, then, then you know, and many of you have seen or come from, you know that things can get terrible, and things can get sideways, and things can get ugly, and things can get very painful. Many people who even call themselves Christians aren't even in churches anymore, won't even go to church, right, because of their experience in a church. I mean, if I asked you to raise your hand, I'm guessing the majority of you, the majority of you, the vast majority of you have an ugly church story. So when these things happen, a temptation can be for a pastor to no longer be be gentle and patient with the people in his flock. It can it can be to become hardened. And a, a my way or the highway. And I don't have time for this. And to stop being a pastor, which is a, a shepherd. When the Bible uses the description of shepherd, this isn't a shepherd like, like we have. To, not that we have shepherds around here. But, so I don't know what you think of when you think of a shepherd. But in many parts of the world today, a shepherd still isn't what a shepherd was then. Right? You maybe have an image of a shepherd you know, driving sheep. You know, he's probably got a, a sheep herding dog. And what is that dog typically doing? He's nipping, right? He's nipping at the heels of the sheep. They're not following the dog. Usually the dog is, is driving the sheep and he's moving them. Okay, that, hopefully that is not the picture of shepherd and sheep in our church. Okay, I do not want to be, you know, a little ankle biter. When, 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 when the Bible talks about Christ being the great shepherd and overseer of our souls in 1 Peter chapter 2 and in 1 Peter chapter 5, our chief shepherd, and we are his sheep, and then that pastors are to the same word, are to poemen, are to shepherd God's people, it, it is a first century Palestinian shepherd, and it was very different. This was a shepherd who lived with, right, his sheep. I don't get the wrong idea there. But this shepherd lived with his sheep. 
and spent time with his sheep and loved his sheep. This is a man who, who you know, who would, who would show physical affection, right? Like you would maybe a pet that's, that's dear to you. Who would show physical affection to all of his sheep. Who would care for them. Who when they were sick would, would bind them up and not just say, okay, well, never mind. We've got to leave the, the one and just, you know, stick with the 99 that we have. But, but one who would care. And, and, no, and so this kind of shepherd was the kind of shepherd who actually could be in front of the sheep. And where this shepherd would go, the sheep would follow that shepherd. Now, the shepherd is turning around every few minutes and, and he's using his, his stick to, to smack the sheep. And there is no gentleness, but he's violent and quarrelsome is the next word. Then he's going to be a totally different kind of leader. And he may actually still get a church somewhere and they may grow in some regards. But it is not the kind of leadership that God is asking for. It's backwards. Rather, it is to be this kind of leadership where the words are strong. Okay, you know that. The words are strong, but they're delivered to you from a co-sinner. And they're delivered to you with gentleness. This doesn't mean that it's always nice, you know, flowery language. It doesn't mean that we don't sit down and say hard words from time to time. It doesn't mean that there is a time to be hard. And there is a time where people need to feel the point of what is being said. Of course, that's not true. But overall, that this kind of leader is gentle and is tactful and is careful with his speech and careful with his actions because he means to bring God's people along, not say something harshly and turn them away in wrath. Overall, he must be gentle like this. Not a lover of money. Money should be for all of us, and it must be for an elder. It must be a tool and not a treasure. Money is not treasure. Money is a tool. Money is not evil. Money is neutral. It can be used for good. It can be used for evil. But money is a tool, and it is meant to be used for good things. And so an elder must be using money as a tool for good things, not just trying to accumulate money so that he can buy and accumulate treasure and accumulate status and accumulate these earthly things, but rather using it to honor and to glorify God. As well, he must be a man who manages his household well. We went over that last week. Home is the primary ministry and in a family typically as dad goes so goes the family as dad goes so goes the family ephesians chapter 6 and colossians chapter 3 warn fathers in particular because fathers so easily can be provocative they can provoke their children to paul says either anger or discouragement and this is happening rampantly where children are either discouraged Or they're angry and they grow up dejected and depressed and discouraged. Or they grow up with anger. And they do that often because their fathers did not bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Ephesians 6, 4, Colossians 3, 21. But they provoked them to discouragement or anger. So a pastor, this is the proving ground. He must manage his household well. He must not be a new convert. He cannot be a, a, a baby Christian. He cannot be young in maturity. He cannot be just feeding on milk anymore. He's got to be eating meat. And there's, there's, a, there's a principle here 
He doesn't give a time frame. He doesn't say he needs to have at least six months under his belt. Don't let him in if he's under a year. You've got five years. He's got to be walking with God for four decades. He doesn't give any specification. He says he cannot be a recent convert. And we have scripture elsewhere like Proverbs sixteen eighteen that says that pride comes before the fall. Okay, so if you put somebody in, right, who's, who's a brand new convert, and all of a sudden now you put him in this position of authority, okay, it'd be very easy for pride. Very easy for pride to come in. And if pride comes in, that man will be done. He'll be undone by that pride. It comes before a fall. So he must not be a recent convert. And he must have a good reputation outside of the church. He must be well thought of, verse 7, by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So he must be wise in his interaction and conduct with non-believers. There may be Christians that have a great reputation in this building. But then if you follow them around, they don't have a very good reputation. If you, if you pull up alongside them on the highway, they may not have such a great reputation with you. Especially if you cut them off. If you follow them to their workplace. Okay, so an elder needs to be the kind of man that, that you can sit down with his co-workers and say, tell us about this man. Okay, and they should be able to say... A respectable, honorable man. It should be a good reputation. If everybody in the church loves him, but everybody outside the church hates him, and he just says, well, I'm just getting persecuted, there's something wrong. And so it needs to be looked closely at. He needs to have a good reputation with outsiders. So here's what Paul is getting. Let, let, let's remember now. So these are his qualifications. And a man must qualify in this way. But this is different than any other job in this sense. That He's not saying that, that a man must qualify in this way. And then he gets to have this elitist position. Okay, and so this position is just reserved for the cream of the crop. This is the best of the best. I mean, you get a title, you get a hat that says elder, you get the t-shirt, you get the bumper sticker, you get respect from everybody. They sing your praises and, and they come up to you and say, how may we honor you today, pastor? Says, that is not the reason. He doesn't say, so you need to be this kind of guy to get into that door and have this elitist position. So we've got to get rid of that thinking. The reason that he goes through these long qualifications is because he's going to be then an example And so for better or worse, your church is going to look like their leaders. Your church is going to look like their, their elders. It is so frightening to think about. I mean, that is, that's a... There, there are times, first and foremost, okay. Lord, I need to live this way and I, I need to do what's right here. And I need to think this way and I need to act this way for, for your glory. And because you are Lord and look at what you have done for me and in me. And out of gratitude, okay, I should live the way you've called me to live. But there are many times as well where I'm, I'm, I'm on, right? I'm on the edge of a thought, of an action. I'm on behavior. I'm on the edge. And I think of the people that I lead here at Veritas. And that is motivation. That is motivation not to go this way, but to go this way. Because I remember, like earlier in that same chapter, Hebrews 13 and verse 7, it says, remember your leaders. 
those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. You see, this is why they need to be 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 sorts of men. They need to be those men because then elsewhere God is going to say, okay, you know those men who are leading in your church? I want you to consider their way of life. Okay, look at the outcome of their life. And I want you to imitate their faith. This is why Paul can say in 1 Corinthians 11.1, be imitators of me. I mean, just... You can just imagine saying that with any sort of sobriety. Looking at someone and being able to say, imitate me. Now remember the second part of that sentence when he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. God has wired us as human beings to be imitators. Okay, we, we all do it. Okay, you start seeing it pop up when you're a kid, right? And in junior high, it's going crazy. And there, and there are those that, that are popular. There are those who have whatever it is that you're after and that you want. And so what do you find yourself doing? What are, you, what are you drawn to doing? You're drawn to imitate. To be like other people. We're like WWJD, but we, we think WW, you know, what, what are other people doing? Those who have what I want. And, and you, you sense that, right? You, you felt that, that draw at some point in your life to imitate other people. Well, God put that in you. He made you so that you would desire to imitate others. But what he means to do then is to have you in a church where you have leaders who are under Jesus and over you who are following Christ that can say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So it's okay, look at me and look at my way of life. But, but really, what do you do? you're really looking past me. You're really looking past me. And if it doesn't line up with Christ and his word, don't, don't imitate it. But as I imitate Christ... Okay, here it is. Tangibly, here it is, boys. Peyton, Brady, Jackson, Blaze. I'm very clear to go to them sometimes and say, do not imitate what I, what I just did. This is why repentance, parents repenting to their kids is so important. Repenting to your kids and asking your kids to forgive you and confessing your sin because you want them to imitate that. Don't imitate my sin, but I do want them to imitate confession and repentance. But when daddy does do this, and, and when I do open the door for, for mommy, and when you don't ever hear me burp at the dinner table, when you do see me, hear me talk to mom in a certain way, and when you do see me come you know, first to her, and if you do see me you know, show affection to her, and if you do, do see me making decisions with her, and if, you, and if you do see how important this relationship is, and if you do see me outside you know, working in the yard, with those things, that, that when, when those are going well, okay, the sin, confession, repentance, imitate that. But over here, I can look at my boys then. What can I say? You can say, watch me. You can say that with a clear conscience. Watch me right now. Watch how I'm doing this. Listen to how I say this. Well, I'm going to go over here and talk to, to your brother right now. Okay, you're, you're punching him in the face. It's not working. This isn't going well. Well, watch, watch. Come on, come with me. Come with me. Watch. Let's go over here and let, let's talk with him. Okay, Peyton. You know what happens, right? He wants to go right back. No, no, no. Stop, stop. Just watch. Just watch. Okay, son, what, what happened? Why are you... you know, hold him back again, right? No, 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 don't talk. I'm going to talk with you. I'm going to talk with you. I don't want to have to put you in your room. I don't want to banish you. I mean, we have to do that a lot, but I want, you to, I want you to be here. I want you to be here for this. I want you to be here for this. 
I don't want to tie you down again. I want you to be here for this. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I want you to be here for this. And why, won't, why do I want him to be here for this? I want you to, I want you to watch this. Okay, Kristen with, with Avery, right? Caring for this little, little baby girl. And they're seeing this. And, the, and then they're learning. And they're learning. And they're, and they're watching. And she can tell them. And I can tell them, watch. You see what mommy does? And you see how mommy is? And you see, you see how mommy talks? And you see how mommy's sweet? And you see how mommy is working so hard for, for us? And do you see how mommy's washing and cleaning and cooking? And do you see how mom is up all night because you're throwing up? That happened this last week. Do you see how mom, she didn't sleep at all last night? And she's, you know, she's still here? And she's, she's being sweet to you today? You watch her. Watch her. Because you've been built to watch. But as we have tangible, real-life examples of, of following Christ. This is why. This is why Paul gets so serious and says, Timothy, don't put men in this position. Don't, don't cave on. Don't, don't, don't fudge on this. Okay? Make sure that you, you, you stick to this. Okay, so not the first half, the first three quarters of the sermon. How about that? Now the last quarter of the sermon. Four, four quick crucial points, because it's, it's what we've looked at, but it's putting it together. Four crucial points in regards to leadership in the church. I really think if you remember these four points and, and, and you're set, if you forget everything else, but you remember this in regards to leadership in Christ's church, we're good. Number one, Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Ephesians 5.23 says as much. 1 Peter 2 says he's the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Chapter 5, verse 4, he is the chief shepherd or the senior pastor. Right now, Jesus is calling, guiding, saving, protecting, building, answering prayer. He is leading the global church and he is leading this local church here at Veritas. He is the senior pastor. We're not just kidding around, not just putting an empty seat at the board meeting. He really is here leading this church church leading specifically right specifically through his word and through his spirit we have nothing better that he left us with than his word and himself and his holy spirit and god is leading in his church today jesus is head over his church today through his word and through his spirit therefore we are submissive as the church as elders we are under his word we are under his spirit we are under jesus what does your word say to do whatever your word says to do that's what we're going to do well we we can't that won't work we can't say that then it won't work but we won't grow the way we want to grow. We, we won't be exactly what we want to be. We won't be popular with some people. They won't want to hear a sermon on that. We, we, just, we just can't do that. It's not just some proud, you know, oh yeah, well, we talk about everything here. And I, that's just the kind of pastor I am. And I'm just, you know, I just speak frank and, and I don't skip anything. And, and you're just going to hear it hard. It's not a pride thing. It's, it's, it's kind of a scary thing sometimes. It's we're in submission to God's words. It's just, it's just, you just can't even think about it. Just whatever your word says, this is what we got to do. I mean, really, it makes things simple. It takes a lot of the thinking out of it. Because the thinking is, okay, how do I apply this? How do I actually do this? Not what am I going to do? We deceive ourselves so much, you know. Pretending we don't know what we're supposed to do. I really, I just, I just don't know. 
Well, let's see here. This verse says do this option. And I actually have a verse here that says don't do that option. Oh, I guess it's more... Right, we have these conversations with each other as Christians. I guess it's more clear than I thought. Oh, yeah, it's pretty clear. <laughs> now, let's, let's thinking good. Use your brain. Think. But now think about how to do that. Not what to do. Jesus Christ is head of the church. Number two, Jesus calls all members of the church to be priests and ministers. Calls us that in the New Testament. If you are a Christian, okay, then God has called you. You are a priest. Pretty cool. And you are a minister. Right? It is the priesthood of believers. You've been brought from darkness and into his marvelous light. And you literally are a priesthood. This is, this is what that means. If you think about the priest in the Old Testament, if you think about priests in the Catholic Church today, they are mediators. They're mediators between you and God, between you and Jesus. So if you've got to confess sin or you've got to make up for some sin or whatever it is, you go to the priest. If you've got a prayer that really needs to get out, if you're smart, you go to the priest. Why? Because he's the guy who's in really good standing with God. He's the mediator. So you go through him. No, you are a priest. In other words, you do not need a mediator between you and God because God, Jesus Christ, is your mediator. So your, your mediator this is a trip. This is a trip. There is no mediator between you and God. Your mediator is a member of the Godhead. So the go-between between you and God the Father is God the Son. So you have a mediator. So you, you go to God. You are a priest in that sense. You don't need to go and bring your sacrifices to the priest like in the Old Testament. You don't need to go and bring your confessions to the priest like in the Catholic Church. No, you just get on your knees right now and you confess your sin to Jesus. And you live your life, as Romans 12, 1, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Not only that, but we are all ministers. So when we talk about leadership in the church, it is not. Okay, yeah, I know how this works. I come, I listen, I give some money, and then the boy does it up there. <laughs> That's, and that can, that can get out of whack right too. Where the pastor is maybe on, on the, everyone's errand. And he does everything. I've heard people say, not here, this is great, but I've heard this before and heard other people say this in churches where it's like, you know, hey, I've got this friend. And I'm trying, and they'll tell me, I just kind of laugh. I appreciate it. It's kind of a compliment, but I appreciate it. I've got this friend, I'm really trying to, you know, I I want them to become a Christian. And when I ask what they're doing, you know, not much, but, but then they'll, they'll say this. And so I finally got them. I'm bringing them to you on Sunday. (laughs) Like I'm the closer, right? (laughs) There's the, the expert. I'll bring him to the reverend. I'll bring him to the minister. I'll bring him to the pastor because he's the one, he's the one that we're paying to, you know, to do this, to make disciples, to crank out Christians. And so I'll get him, we'll get a nice front row seat and it's going to be done. But we're all ministers, 1 Corinthians 5.20 of reconciliation. As though Christ were making his appeal through us, not the elders, not the pastors, but through each and every one of us as well. We are ministers to one another. You are counselors to one another. 
You are bearing one another's burdens. You are confessing sin to one another. You are teaching one another. There is a position, an elder, an overseer, where the souls are being overseen and watched over. And this is being taken responsibility for this. But you are all to be ministering to one another in this way. So this is not spectatorship. It's not consumership. It's not you come and you just consume these religious goods and services. That's not what this is about. You are a participant, which is why if you're a member at Veritas Church, you know this. If you're a member, you're serving, you're ministering, at the very least informally in your relationship with other people in this church, but most of you formally in some sort of leading, serving, volunteering position in this church. You're ministering. Why? Because Jesus calls us all to be ministers. Number three, Jesus calls some men to the ch- of the church to be leaders. So he calls all of us in the church to be priests and ministers. He calls some to be leaders, elders, overseers, pastors, shepherds. All these words are used synonymously. Shepherd, pastor, elder, bishop, overseer, reverend, whichever word you want to use. Some God calls to lead in the church. Ideally, a plurality of elders in the church. This is not uh, a, 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 an alternative form of leadership in Christ's church. It is the form of leadership in his church. Not, nothing else is acceptable. God raises up some men to be elders, pastors, overseers in Christ's church. And, and what are they doing? They're shepherding. They are overseeing what? The souls. The souls of their people. Overseeing the souls of Christ's people. Number four, these leaders, more specifically here, these leaders care for the church. This is the role. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Number two, Jesus calls all members of the church to be priests and ministers. Number three, Jesus calls some men of the church to be leaders. Number four, these leaders care for the church. Remember the verse we just read. He must manage his household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. And then he says, why? For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So we pull two things out of there. One, it's God's church. Another reminder. How will he care for those in God's church? And number two, God intends for certain men to care for it. To take responsibility. To to tend to it. The word manage here literally means to stand before. To stand before. To stand before, to to teach, to stand before, to lead, to protect, to give instruction, to to stand before, to look ahead, to stand before, to to look behind. This is everything that's entailed in this this word manage. But he's in this position, right, to care for the church. Or to put it another way, to serve the church. So it's not, oh, I want to be in this position. It's a good thing for men to aspire and to desire this, but, but, but why? Not so you can have some kind of status, but it's for service. Not status, but service. Jesus clarified that in Luke chapter 22, verse 26. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. 
Husbands, you lead your wife. Fathers, you lead your children. How do you lead them? By serving them. Not That means I make all the decisions and they have to do what I tell them to do. And uh, I get to have the biggest portion of pie and, and, and we're watching what I want to watch tonight. And no, 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 no. It's actually the, actually the opposite. Actually, as long as it is as good and it's best, what would you like, honey? What are your desires? What do you need, children? What would be best for you? Well, I'm not going to have time for maybe other things that I want time for, but I'm going to manage well and lead well and care for God's church. This is what, this is what God expects for an elder and a, and a pastor to do. Remember those four crucial points. And you'll, you'll remember what is crucial to remember in regards to Christ's church and leadership in his church. And whole purpose, the whole meaning, remember the course. This isn't a pragmatic thing. Sometimes it doesn't work best. This isn't, well, it's just been... It's been tried and tested and proven over the years. None of those are the the reasons, okay? The reasons that we do things this way is because our desire, our chief desire, is to bring honor and glory to God. So we want to honor God. We want to glorify God. If we want to honor God and glorify God, then we go to His Word and say, God, what would you have us do? This is what you would have us do. This is what we will do. This is our goal. To bring honor and glory to him. Let me pray. And we'll take communion together as a family. Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning. And thank you again for your word. uh, You've given us uh, that is clear. And is good for our souls. and, And word that comes from somewhere else. Outside of us and outside of this world. And from the one who made us and created us and and knows us most deeply and intimately and best. You, God. I pray that uh, in this, in your word going out this morning, that uh, lives would be changed. That lives would be changed so that others would see that and that they would praise you and bring glory to you. That that somehow, in some way, through the truths that, that we learned today or or the truths that were sharpened in our minds today that that somehow in that when we take and apply this that you would be made much of by us or by our friends by our families by our neighbors by by others that, that you would get more worship out of this that you would get more praise out of this that there would be People this morning that, that are more appreciative and, and thankful and grateful and enamored with you than they were an hour ago. Because your word would cut through everything and get to our hearts. God bless the rest of our time here this morning. As we remember what you've done, we remember who you are. As we take communion together. As we sing to you, as we pray together, we pray your blessing. We pray it boldly in the name of your Son, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to this free audio podcast by Veritas Church. For more audio and video, please visit veritas-truth.com. Bah.